Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Time. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. And as you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I'm sure it probably has, but you go to the grocery store, and you're going to buy a gallon of milk, and you look at the milk gallon, and you you look at the expiration date, and it looks like it's good. It's still good. And so you bring that gallon of milk home when you're about ready to have some cereal, and you, you pour out that gallon of milk, and what comes out is some chunky, gross, sour milk. And you're like, ew, this is just gross. Or maybe you went to the store and you bought a loaf of bread. And on the outside, the bread looks really good and and everything looks great. And it's Oro Wheat or whatever brand you use. And you get home to make a sandwich and you open up the bread and it's all moldy. It's gross. On the outside, it looks good, but when you open it up, it's gross. Or how about you want to bite into that red, delicious apple? You've been waiting all day to eat that apple, and as you bite into the apple, all of a sudden it becomes mushy and rotten, and a worm is kind of squirming around in there. (laughs) Have I grossed you out enough this morning? (laughs) Some of you are like, yes, I have. You know, from the outside, everything looks good. But from the inside, when you open it, when you open the milk garden, it's sour. When you open up the bread, it's moldy. When you bite into the apple, it's... It's rotten. Looks can be very deceiving. We can be fooled by a shiny apple on the outside, but never know the rottenness on the inside. Now, why do I bring up the issue of something looking good on the outside, like a shiny red apple, but on the inside being rotten? Because Jesus is going to address this issue today with the religious leaders of his day called the Pharisees. And and Jesus is continuing to talk about the condition of the unsaved heart, the condition of the dark, unsaved heart. Remember last week we ended up with him talking about the evil eye, and it was a metaphor for the soul. If If your soul is bad, your soul needs to be regenerated. Your soul needs to be changed. And so he continues to address the deadness and the blindness and the, and the darkness of the human heart. And we transition to a Pharisee's home, the house of a Pharisee. And Jesus is going to interact with these religious leaders. And so let's pick up where we left off last week in Luke chapter 11. Let's start in verse 37. We're going to go just to verse 44 today because I think there's so much here that we need to spend just one week on it. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But you give as alms those things that are within, 
and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. So let's explore this passage of Scripture this morning. Jesus goes into the house of a Pharisee, and the Pharisee's shocked. Actually, the Pharisee's offended that Jesus doesn't wash his hands before he sits down to eat. Now, in our culture, it's pretty customary. Why do we wash our hands before we eat? Because of a hygiene. Remember COVID? Wash your hands under there for, what, 30 seconds and all that? I mean, we're used to that. Hygiene issues. But back then, it wasn't so much for hygiene. It was a badge of honor that you were a good, righteous Jew and not a pagan Gentile outsider. Good, noble, religious Jews would wash their hands before dinner. Because technically, according to the Old Testament law, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 15, the only time you were really required to wash is if you came in contact with a dead body or you were around a corpse. Then you had to wash. But there was no law requiring you to wash your hands before you ate dinner. The Pharisees were putting a man-made requirement on that. They were going the extra mile. They were saying, look at us. We wash our hands before dinner. Again, it wasn't hygiene. It was more of a badge of honor that we're pure, that we are holy, that we are right before God because we wash our hands. And Jesus doesn't do that. He purposely doesn't watch his hands, and and the Pharisee gets highly offended, and Jesus uses this as an object lesson. He talks about the cup. Notice what he says there in verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Basically, what Jesus is saying is you Pharisees are focusing on outward appearance. You're focusing on shining the the apple to make it look very good outwardly, but inwardly, it's wicked. You're greedy. You're evil. You are wicked. That word wicked, when he says wickedness, that's the same word used last week that we saw when Jesus called that generation wicked because they were looking for a sign. It's a, it's a wicked generation. It's the same word used when he talked about the bad eye or the wicked eye. Jesus is continuing on this theme of wickedness. And he says it's deep in the heart of these men, but they don't know it because they're cleaning the outside of the dish. They're cleaning the outside of their life, but inside they are wicked. And, and Jesus does something astonishing. Notice what he says to them in verse 40. You fools. He calls them fools. Now, that has nothing to do with their intelligence. These are smart men. When somebody's called a fool in the Bible, basically it means this. You are spiritually bankrupt. You are morally walking in a, in, in a, in a way of rebellion. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Being a fool in the Bible means you're walking in your own way in rebellion against God. Now, these Pharisees would never think of themselves as being fools. They've read their Old Testament. They've read Proverbs. They would never think of themselves as being fools. Fools are those those really dirty, ugly, black-hearted, sinful people like prostitutes and tax collectors and those really evil people. Those are the ones that are fools, but not us. We're not fools. We would never think of ourselves as fools. 
And Jesus says, on the outside, you think you look great. But internally in your heart, you're greedy, you're wicked, you're acting like a fool. They were clean on the outside, trying to make everybody else think they were holy, righteous, good. But on the inside, they were wicked. Now that's the definition of hypocrisy. That's the definition of hypocrisy. Trying to look good to others on the outside when internally you are still living a sinful lifestyle. Jesus says this about the Pharisees in Matthew, about these religious leaders. In Matthew 23, 5, he says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Why do they do what they do? To be seen. It's not a matter of the heart, it's to be seen. Now, what exactly is the hypocrisy of the heart? Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, Because this people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. You can say the right things. You can sing the right things. You can appear outwardly to be a very religious, righteous person, but at the same time, Isaiah here, and Jesus quotes this, says, your heart can be far from God. You can have a wicked, greedy heart that's far from God. Because what does God ultimately look on? Does God look at outward appearance, or does God look at the heart? Well, when they were going to choose who was to be king of Israel, and Samuel was to go into Jesse's home, in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when he's looking at all the brothers, what does God say to Jesse? I mean, to Samuel, when he went into Jesse's house, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We want others to look at our outward appearance. We want others to see us as moral, to see us as spiritual, to see us as all put together. We look at the outward appearance, and we want others to look at the outward appearance. But really, the Lord is most concerned with our hearts. Remember a few weeks ago when Jesus was cast the demon out, and, and, and he told that, 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 that interesting teaching about the man that had the demon, and the demon left, and then seven more came back? Remember what the guy tried to do? He tried to clean up his life. He tried to sweep up his life and, and kind of tried to morally improve his life. It's the same issue here. You, you can't just clean up your act. You can't just morally sweep your life out and try to shine the outside of the red apple. It takes an internal spiritual transformation. So here's the main point of this passage for today. Hypocrisy of the heart is a deadly horror to your spiritual growth hypocrisy of the heart is a deadly horror now i use these words carefully you will understand why i use the word horror here in a moment we're not talking about a horror show but i will explain to you in just a moment why i've chosen that that language besides it's alliterated for you to remember hypocrisy of the heart is a deadly horror to your spiritual growth hypocrisy horror heart now let me ask you a question what is more hard to detect? What's easier, what's easier to detect or harder to detect? Sin. The person who's a flagrant, rebellious, 
sinner that flaunts their sin and acts all ungodly and could care less about God and they make it very clear that they're an unbeliever and they want nothing to do with God. Or the person that has a lot of Bible knowledge, the person that goes to church every Sunday, the person that says all the right things, but in their heart they have wickedness and they're far from God. Which is harder to detect? The second. The person that thinks they've got it all together, the person that acts righteous, but they're hiding it in their heart. They're prideful in their own belief system and your own spirituality and whatever. You can be very prideful and you try to hide it. But the problem is this. You may for a while fool people in your outward appearance. But here's the point. Eventually, what's in your heart will come out. It will manifest itself. You can only fake it for so long until the true you comes out. And this is what's going on with these Pharisees. You see, what's in your heart, people can't see. But it will come out in actions and attitudes that people can see. And so Jesus is going to address these Pharisees. Here's the problem, though. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Sometimes we don't even understand our hearts. Our hearts can fool us. So here's a question. How do you know you have a hypocritical heart? How do you know it? How do you know you have a hypocritical heart? Or as the psalmist would say, how do you know you have an undivided heart? Or a divided heart. Psalm 86.11 in the ESV says it this way. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Now, the NIV translates that Hebrew word a little bit differently. And so I'm just going to give you what the NIV says. It says, give us an undivided heart. Psalm 86.11 in the NIV says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Undivided heart, united heart. Really what that word in the Hebrew means is your heart is joined with God. Your heart is going in the same direction as God. Your heart is singularly focused on God. You don't have a divided heart. You don't have a hypocritical heart. John Flavel, the old Puritan of old, said this, To suffer sin, to lodge quietly in the heart, to let your heart habitually and without control wander from God, is a sad a dangerous symptom indeed. I like the imagery he uses there of sin lodging quietly in your heart. What does it mean for sin to lodge quietly in the heart? It means sin's taken its home there, and it's quiet. You don't, you're, you're so familiar with it, it's down there, and you don't even know. It's, it's quiet. It doesn't bother you anymore because it's made its home in you. And he's saying that's a dangerous place to be when sin becomes so embedded in your heart that you don't even know. Now, Jesus is going to pronounce three woes. Three woes on these Pharisees. Next week, we're going to see three woes on the lawyers. Okay, so in this passage of Scripture, there's really six woes, but we're going to take them each week. So three woes 
to the Pharisees. Now, you may ask yourself, what's a woe? It's not Keanu Reeves, whoa. You know, it's not, that's not like that. Some of you got that. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? Whoa. Here, here's what the word woe means. You can translate it this way. How disastrous or terrible it would be for you. Or literally, what a horror. Woe to you means what a horror. What a disaster. This is something dreadful. In other words, Jesus is pronouncing a judgment upon these Pharisees by saying, it is a horror to you that you're doing these things. Now, Jesus is going to expose what's in their heart and how it comes out in actions. So the question is, how do you know you have a hypocritical heart? Well, it's going to come out in actions and attitudes. And Jesus pronounces three woes on these Pharisees that are outward actions. So let's look at the horror of a hypocritical heart in these three woes, these three horrors. Okay, so here's the first woe. You have a hypocritical heart when, here's number one, you follow your own little rules but neglect the bigger matter things that matter to God. You follow your own little man-made rules, but you neglect the bigger things that matter to God. Notice what the Pharisees are doing here. Let's look at the first woe. Verse 42. But woe to you, Pharisees. What a horror to you, Pharisees. What a disaster. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, but neglect justice and the love of God. The Pharisees are tithing on their little herbs and spices, the very little things in their garden that they're growing, but they're neglecting the big things like justice and loving God. See, if you go back to Deuteronomy 14, you were only required to tithe a 10% on your produce or your land once a year. You weren't required to tithe every week on the tiniest little thing. It was, it was really just a once-a-year type thing. And so there was no mandate on the little things. But here's what happens. These Pharisees began to make these man-made rules where they got overly zealous about the little things. I've got my own little man-made rules. I've got, got my own little man-made system here, and I'm very zealous to protect that. I'm very zealous. Don't, don't, don't mess with my man-made rules, my little things. But when it comes to the big things, they're blind. They're not doing the big things that God requires. They weren't required to tithe on their little herbs and spices, but they were required to do the big things like justice and love God. Those things, are unambi- those things aren't ambiguous. The Bible is very clear on the big things. Are we supposed to show biblical justice? Yes. Are we to love God? Yes. Are those the big things? Yes. Tithing on our little plants? Not so much. Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's the big stuff. Walk humbly before the Lord. Love the Lord your God. Don't neglect justice. You see, they were neglecting those big things. And they were so overzealous and so focused on the little things. And the little things were their things. They're man-made things. Really not even anything in the Bible. It was just more their man-made rules. So you have a hypocritical heart when you become overzealous, over-legalistic, very rigid about your little man-made rules, your little kingdom, your little way of doing things, but you neglect the big things that you're supposed to do that God is very clear about. That's the first way you know you have a hypocritical heart. 
is when you focus on the little things, the little man-made things you've done, but you neglect the big things that God's been very clear about, like loving him and loving others. All right, second woe. You have a hypocritical heart when you crave all the attention for your moral superiority. You crave attention for your moral superiority. Notice the second woe here. Verse 43. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. You like to sit up front so everybody can see how awesome you are. You see, back in those days, the closer you sat at the front, the more superior religiously you were. Think about during the colonial days in our country. I don't know if you know this, but Boston's famous Old North Church had pews at the front that were designed for the rich, prominent businessmen. So you could sit at the front of the church if you were a landowner or you were a merchant or you are a banker, banker. But if you were like a, a blacksmith or a stable maid, you had to sit at the back. So you wanted to be seen at the front. So you know you have a hypocritical heart when you want to be seen. You want attention. You want people to look at you, especially your morality. And you kind of get competitive and you play the comparison game. You want people to know how spiritual you are. You may say things like, you know what, I spent an hour on my quiet time today and God just gave me some great revelations and I want to share those with you because you only have your quiet time probably five minutes a day and I have mine for an hour. And so you'll eventually get up to my level. But, you know, let me just impart to you the wisdom I've learned today. Or maybe you're in a Bible study and you think you know all the answers. And so you begin to spout off so that everybody looks at how spiritual you are. You want everybody to, under, to, to stand in awe of your level of maturity. You crave all the attention, you want all the accolades, you want all the spotlight on you. Everything's about you. You want the glory. You are what Jesus would call a glory seeker. In John 5, he's talking to Pharisees and says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? You want glory from one another. You want you want your reputation and the accolades. You're a glory seeker. Are you a glory seeker? Are you overly competitive? Do you, want, do you crave the limelight? Do you crave the attention? Do you have to always put yourself out there and have people look at you? That's a sign that you may have a hypocritical heart when it's all about you. And everybody looking at you. You're a glory seeker. And probably the worst woe here is woe number three. You have a hypocritical heart when you're spiritually dead on the inside but look religious on the outside. You're spiritually dead on the inside but look religious on the outside. Verse 44, woe to you. This is the third woe. For you're like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Now let's talk about these unmarked graves because this may be something that you're not familiar with. In ancient Israel, it was basically against the law, ceremonially, for you to come in contact with a dead body. So if you accidentally stepped on a grave, you would be ceremonially unclean for seven days. You would have to go purify yourself, go see a priest. You couldn't go to the synagogue. And so in order for you not to step on a grave, they would whitewash the graves. They would whitewash the tombs in the springtime so you wouldn't inadvertently walk on a tomb. 
And so what Jesus says is you're unmarked graves. People are walking on you and they're getting contaminated by your teaching. Not only are you a grave, not only are you rotting on the inside, but you're polluting others that come in contact with you, Pharisees. Not only are you spiritually dead, Pharisees, but you're contaminating others that come in contact with you. Jesus said this about them when he pronounces the woes in Matthew. Matthew 23, 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land and make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wow. You're a child of hell, Pharisee, and when you manipulate and contaminate and influence others, you're making them twice a child of hell as you are because you're the one that's it's teaching. So it's, it's dramatic imagery here of a hypocritical heart. You think you're good, these Pharisees. I'm good. I tithe. I'm religious. I'm prominent. I got a prominent seat in the synagogue. Everybody's looking at me as this great spiritual leader. But Jesus says, really, no, you're like a tomb. You're, you're like a rotting corpse. You, you go into a graveyard, and it's just a bunch of dead bodies. It's, it's, it's death. Spiritual death. You may look good on the outside, but it's death. Spiritual death on the inside. Your, your heart's a graveyard. Now, these three woes demonstrate what comes out of a life that has a hypocritical heart. Again, nobody can look into your heart and see what's going on, but eventually these things will come out that will reveal the hypocrisy of your heart. So let's ask a question this morning. Okay, what's the answer to the spiritual condition? How, how, do you, how do you fix a hypocritical heart? What has to happen for your heart to be changed? How do you deal with that? How does a hypocritical heart get transformed? Well, here's the answer, and you know the answer. Only Jesus. Only Jesus can change your heart from the inside out. Only Jesus can do that. Only the gospel of Christ can transform the horror of a hypocritical heart. So what I'd like to do this morning is offer three truths concerning the gospel of Christ that will transform a hypocritical heart, a heart that's far from God. What are these three truths? Here's truth number one. These all relate to the gospel. These all relate to Jesus and how Jesus and the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection, who he is, what he's done for us, how these things will transform our hearts. So here's truth number one. The gospel cuts us down to our true size. When you look at the cross, you realize that you deserve to be there, not Jesus. And you have nothing to offer except for your sin. We are spiritually dead. We are bankrupt. We are not owed anything. We have no merit to provide God. We have no resume to provide God. We are spiritually dead. And when we look at the cross, we realize just our true size. I'm nothing without Jesus. I don't need the accolades. I don't need the attention. I don't need to... the issue is not how people perceive me from the outside. The issue is my heart. My heart needs to change. I need to be humbled. I need to be brought low. Because all I have to offer is filthy rags. 
Even the good things that I attempt to do, the outer good things, the, the, the clean cup, the shiny red apple. The Bible says even those good things are like filthy rags, like polluted garments. Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like one who's unclean. And all our righteous deeds, our righteous deeds, our good deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. John Stott said this. He says, quote, nothing in history or the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross that we shrink to our true size. It's at the foot of the cross where you, we shrink to our true size. We realize the depths of our sin, and then we realize the depths of his amazing grace, and we begin to realize, why me? Why'd you save me, Jesus? Didn't have to. You weren't obligated to. It was because of your sovereign grace and your sovereign love and your amazing mercy that you did it. And as you stand there at the foot of the cross contemplating your sin and his mercy, it cuts you down to your true size and you realize, I have nothing to offer here. I'm not all that. It's all about Jesus and what he's done for me in the cross, the old rugged cross. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We've all fallen short, and the only answer is the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ. So truth number one is the cross cuts us down to our true size and reveals that hypocrisy in our heart and overcomes that and humbles us. But here's number two. Truth number two. A spiritually dead heart needs to be made alive. The problem's not that you just kind of have to have some moral improvement, moral improvement here and there. The issue is it's, it's deeply spiritual. It's got to go to the core of who you are. There has to be a heart transplant. There has to be something deeply spiritual that happens to you, and you can't perform that on yourself because you're a sinner. Only God can make you alive. Listen to the words from Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 through 27. This is God speaking. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God's going to give us a new heart. God's going to take out that old, dead, hypocritical heart, and he's going to give us a new heart, a spiritually beating heart, the Holy Spirit within us. God's going to make us alive. This was read at our call to worship, but I want to read it again. Because it's a powerful gospel. Ephesians 2, 4-7. through seven. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
God has to make you alive. God has to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. You can't, you can't just morally improve yourself. Clean the outside of the cup. Shine the apple. Outwardly appear good. The transformation is so pervasive and so deep and so spiritual, only God can reach down to the recesses of your heart and do that deep work. You have to be made spiritually alive by a sovereign God. You can't change your heart. Only God can overcome a hypocritical heart. So when you look at the cross, you're cut down to your true size. And then God does that heart transplant. He makes you alive. But here's number three. Truth number three. We must continually guard our hearts from hypocrisy. Guard. Continually guard. Proverbs 4.23 is a great passage of scripture that you may need to underline, highlight in your Bible. I don't know how you do that in your electronic Bibles. I don't have one. Do you, do you like, is there like a highlight mode or a circle? There is a highlight mode. I'm old-fashioned. I like to highlight it with like a real highlighter or whatever. Whatever, however you do it. Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it the heart flows the springs of life. Literally, in the Hebrew, keep the heart with all keeping. Keep the heart with all keeping. Guard your heart. You see, the hypocritical heart wants others to notice it, and you're not so concerned about your heart, you're concerned with outward appearance, making yourself look good. But the heart's eventually going to come out, and so everything starts in the heart. We've got to guard our hearts. For example, we may not ever outwardly commit adultery because we would never do something outwardly that bad. But inwardly, we may have lust or we may watch pornography or we may do things in our hearts that Jesus says is just as bad. Or you may not ever really outwardly gossip or yell at or confront a coworker because outwardly you would never do that because you want to look good. But inwardly, you may want to stab them with knives and want them dead, okay? You hate them in your heart. Or maybe outwardly you want others to think you're this great prayer warrior. You're like, come to me, I'm this great prayer warrior. Outwardly, you're this, I'm a great prayer warrior. But then you really don't ever pray. I'll pray for you, but you never pray. Outwardly, you want to appear one way, but inwardly, you're, you're different. But here's the thing. We as believers in Christ know too well our hearts, don't we? We know what goes on in our hearts. We know that everything centers on the heart. If our heart's not right, if our heart's not with Christ, if our heart's far from God, everything's out of whack. That is why earlier I took us through that time of confession in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and we're going to revisit it. I said it earlier. This is a prayer you should pray often. Psalm 139, 23, and 24. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Look at the words that David uses there to talk about what he wants God to do with his inner life. Search me. Lord, do a thorough investigation in my heart to know what's truly there because I don't know what's there. You know what's there, but I need you to reveal what's there. Know my heart. 
God, bring to light the blind spots that I have in my heart. Search me. Know me. Try me. Try me means to test me by melting down the metal so the dross rises to the top. In other words, try me means, Lord, it may be painful when you take me through this process. It'd be like going through the trials of fire. When you, when you bring to light sin in my life, it may be painful. And it says, know my thoughts. My thoughts. Now, some translations say um, disquieting thoughts. Really, those are your restless thoughts. The, the anxious thoughts you have because of your sin. The, 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 the things that mull around in your mind because of your sin. And then he says, See if there be any grievous way in me. The word grievous means that which causes pain. Pain to myself, pain to, my, to, to others, anything in my life that would be causing me spiritual pain or other, other people's pain. Lord, do this work. Try me, investigate me, test me, search me. Do what you need to do in me, Lord, because I can't do it. I can't see it, but I know that it's deep down there. So, Lord, I'm asking you to do this work. And at the end of the day, I want you to lead me. Don't leave me in my sin, but lead me. I don't want to be the leader. I don't want to be the Lord. I don't want to be the boss. You need to lead. You need to, to be the leader, and I will follow you. J.C. Ryle has said this. He says, quote, Whatever we are as Christians, let us be real, thorough, genuine, and sincere. Let us hate all hypocrisy and play acting in the things of God as that which he hates as well. We may be weak and frail and come up far short at times, but at any rate, and here's what I want us to focus on, if we profess to believe in Christ, let us be true. The gospel is the only antidote, the only answer to the horror of a hypocritical heart. The cross cuts you down to true size. Your heart needs to be changed by God alone, and we need to continually be guarding our hearts from hypocrisy. So if we profess to believe in Christ, let us be true by the power of the Spirit. If we profess to believe in Christ, let us be true in the name of Jesus. If we profess to be believers in Christ, let us be true to the glory of God the Father. After his death, this motto was attributed to John Calvin of what Calvin said. It was never, it, 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 there's never anything in writing, but after his death, it was attributed to him. Everybody that knew him said this was his life's motto, and I think it should be your life's motto as well. This is what Calvin said to the Lord. Lord, I give you my heart promptly and sincerely. In other words, Lord, I give you my heart quickly and without hypocrisy. Lord, you have my heart. You have my heart quickly. You have my heart now. You have my heart sincerely. And so may we be believers in Christ that every day or maybe every minute of the day we say to Jesus, here's my heart. I'm giving it to you completely. I'm giving it to you quickly. 
I'm giving it to you sincerely. Here's my heart. You already know what's in there, Jesus, but I'm giving it to you. Search me, try me, get rid of the hypocrisy in my heart. Lord, you have my heart. You have my heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the word of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord Jesus, we give you our hearts this morning. Quickly. We don't want to hide our hearts from you. We don't want to lodge sin deep in our hearts. Lord, we want to give you our hearts quickly and promptly and sincerely. If we, pro, if we claim to, to believe in Jesus, we want to be true. Lord, there may be some of us here that don't even realize that we have the horror of hypocrisy deep in our hearts, and, and so that's why we need your grace to expose that. For others, it may be all too uh, experience where they know all too well that they have hypocrisy in their hearts. Lord, we, I don't know where people are this morning, but you do. All I know, Lord, is that we, we, want, we don't want to be hypocritical people. We don't want Jesus, we, we don't want to hear those words, woe to you, because you do these things. Lord, we want to have soft hearts. We want to have changed hearts. And, and Jesus, it only comes from you. And so, Lord, we give you our hearts this morning. Would you take out any hypocrisy we may have? Would you help us walk in integrity? Would you help us walk in purity? Would you help us walk with our eyes fixed on you. Would you lead us in the way everlasting? Help us not to be the leaders of our lives, but Lord, help us to, to follow you as the leader, as the Lord of our lives. We give you our hearts promptly and sincerely, Lord Jesus, to your glory alone. And we ask this in, in your name, Jesus. Amen and amen. I will.